And we're back. I'm Dalton Kemper, along with Vince Maduri, here with the USMNT Thoughts Podcast. I had to grab a drink before this podcast recording started because there's a lot to talk about, and a lot of it is not uh, pleasant, I will say. Minus your Sunday. We'll take Sunday out of the equation, Vince. How are you doing? Um. I mean, I could be better. I, I haven't stopped thinking about that game since the, the end of it. So even forget Sunday. I mean, like I was upset yesterday and I'm upset today. So um, I don't know if I'm going to feel any better until we're qualified. And that's not going to be until the end of March now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would agree. It's been on my mind a lot, too. And just the news, obviously, which we're going to get to with new injuries and so much, so, so much to discuss in this episode uh, but first, we have our question that's going to kick us off that I have been doing every episode now uh, since the second episode for people to get to know us a little more, something a little different. The question this week, thanks to my wife, I think she's now provided two questions for, for these. Um, thanks to her. What is your favorite concession stand food to get if you're at a game? doesn't have to be a soccer game. If you're at a sporting event, you're going to get food from the concession stand. What's your go-to? What's your favorite? Man, that's such an excellent question. So, so props to your wife. Um, I, I'm a vibes guy, man. Like I'm, I'm a total vibes guy. Like I, I, it, what, something that I really like about all the new MLS stadiums that are coming out. Um, and I like to try to visit all of them. So like I've been to several MLS stadiums, like it's a goal of mine to be, to go to every single one. Um, and so like for LAFC, for example, they have a bunch of the local food places that are there. Um, like Chica's tacos is in the, is in the building. There's, then there's a couple other like local eateries. Um, so like I'll kind of always sample the local thing at like, say a baseball game. Um, I don't go to baseball games very often, but I mean, you kind of have to have a hot dog there, Yeah. but I wouldn't even consider myself a hot dogs guy. So like, I, I guess I'm just a vibes guy. I have to have a drink. So like a beer or <laughs> yeah. a margarita is happening at every game. So that's, that's guaranteed. And I'll get some food. Um, hopefully I'll get something local. That's, that's, yeah. that's what I'll say. I like that. I like that. If there's something local at a stadium, which most do have now, I will very strongly consider that. But if we're just talking concession food, I can't go wrong with a hot dog and a beer. Or a brat. If they do brat, if the if the stadium has brats, yeah, I'm getting brat over hot dog. But if there's Every no brat, time. if there's no brat, yeah. I'm still getting the hot dog. Um, and yeah. I'm not that big of a hot dog person either. But it's just something about being at a sporting event and getting an, a hot dog that's paired with a nice tall beer, and it's oh. just a perfect combination. And they have the perfect places are the ones that have the stands with all the stuff you can put on the hot dogs. Uh, however much you want to it's all perfect that's why i'm a hot dog at a sporting event person although i never really eat hot dogs in any other day of my life (laughs) yeah like (laughs) it's a strange it's a it's a strange thing to me to just like randomly have a hot dog on like a thursday in december um that seems like a very definitely seems like a summer food yeah Yeah. it's like a summer food at a ball game or like the fourth of july you're grilling out or something like that that that's like the proper place for a hot dog 
Um, I don't think I'm having a hot dog like on a like on a random de- December Thursday, but um, <laughs> yeah, I, you know, I I respect that. I respect that. Definitely the brat over the hot dog every single time for me. I, I yeah. agree with you. It's not even a question for me. Like brat brat trumps like everything else. So. Uh, that would be my go-to actually would be the brat, but some places don't have it. So you got to go hot dog. Yeah. Um, <laughs> now we'll jump right into, Oh, this is going to be depressing. Kind of. Uh, do, do we have gonna... to, can we just, can we just keep talking about <laughs> hot dogs and bratwurst? Like I, I don't, I don't we know I want to talk about this you game. Know, here's what I'm going to do. Here's what I want to do Vince to, to keep this like kind of lighthearted. All right. I'm going to pull up a tab right now on my computer, random hot dog facts. And I'm going to sprinkle these in throughout the episode when it's getting a little too down. All Excellent. right. That sounds great. So, Love this. Um, so I'm going to do this. I'm going to sprinkle hot dog facts throughout the episode. <laughs> and uh, we're going to Perfect. just whenever it's getting a little too down. So let's start out with the obviously the game against Canada on Sunday. What an ugly performance, unless your name is Greg Burhalter, unless you watch it with his set of eyes, I guess. Um, yep. Canada won 2-0, a very early goal by Kyle Laren allowed Canada to sit back and do what they wanted to do. Canada uh, did a very good job of playing the way they wanted to, and they did a good job of stopping us from doing what we wanted to. And ultimately the game ended 2-0 and there was like one or two points in the game where I thought, Oh, we could score here. And one of them was the Weston McKinney header that was saved um, yeah. that very easily could have made it one, one, but there's just was, there were so few moments of, of promise. There were so few moments going forward. Canada just looked like they controlled that game. Um, if you look at every stat, but the possession stat, they did, they controlled us and they, they were the, they were the superior team and the superior, co- superior coach team. Yeah. 100%. And like, Greg Berhalter says after the game that in his eyes, we dominated Um, other than possession. I'm not positive what he's talking about. The It's not an indicator of really anything. And when you, when you're behind a goal from like what the seventh minute, what, what, when did they yeah. score again? It was seventh. early. It was it, seventh, so, yeah. so when you're behind a goal from the seventh minute on, especially against a team that was already going to give you possession because that's just the way that they play. It, it's, it's almost like, it's almost like Barcelona bragging about possession when they lose two nothing to Atletico Madrid, like Atletico Madrid's never going to win possession battle against Barcelona. It's, it's never going to happen. It's just not the style of play. What matters is did you create chances with that possession? And so by chances created the U S had nine Canada had eight. So 68 possession, 68 percent of possession, only created nine chances the entire game with that 68 percent possession, and big chances created. The U.S. had zero, Canada had two. Yeah. So, it, in what way did we dominate? Did we dominate physically? Because physically, they won the duels Canada, too, right? Canada won the duels, 70 to 69, and they won the aerial duels, 24 to 19. So, so where, where did we dominate? Like, I, I'm just, it wasn't domination in, in the way that I watched the game and it wasn't domination in the statistics. It wasn't domination on the score sheet. So in what area did we dominate? It was basically just possession. Is that, is that what he's talking about? Cause he really should clarify. 
And I know that the Burhalter, this is the way he wants to play. He wants to possess the ball. He wants to try and, and methodically build up and control the game that way, which yeah. when you have more possession, obviously it's harder for the other team to score. You want to try and win games 1-0, 2-0, uh, things like that whenever you are building the way that Greg wants to. But the issue comes with that when – okay, there are times whenever we win the ball in a very good position in the midfield or even higher up the field sometimes. And the first reaction from players is not to look forward and not to go. It's to pass it back to the defense and recycle possession. And all that does was give Canada the chance to set up defensively. They become impossible to break down, especially whenever it doesn't seem like we know how to break down defenses of Canada's quality even. Um, and so it's just, it's a mess of things that aren't working. Yeah. Yeah. It's just, it's been like this. It's been like this for years and, you know, to, to the whole, like, we want to, to, you know, win the possession battle. We want to be able to, to work the ball around and be able to score and play beautiful soccer. Good. We should, we're the most talented team in the region. Like there's absolutely no reason why we shouldn't win the possession battle. I don't think that you have to have to say that we are only going to win one or two nothing just because we want to possess the ball. Like if, if, if Manchester city wins the ball high up the field, do you think they're recycling possession and starting backwards? No, no they know when to, when to have a transition moment. Like that's just the, the way that it is. And it's just, it's extremely frustrating to watch this team constantly go backwards and I guess that's why Legit keeps getting calls because he's the king of the backwards movement and back passes. And, and so, like, he continues to get, get you know, looks in this team. Obviously, he's not playing in the team, so I'm not putting him as a scapegoat. But I'm saying the reason why a player like him is continuing to be in the team is because he fits the system that Greg is wanting to employ. And that system is essentially, like, don't be aggressive. And that yeah. bothers the hell out of me. Mm-hmm. And we have such talent going forward. I know that we talk about our striker and how we haven't found him yet, which is true. But, but as far as talent, just going forward in general with Wea and Polisic and Reina, who's obviously not here right now, but those three and Aronson and McKinney going forward and Eunice Musa making forward passes, the talent that we have of players like going forward, Serginho Dest from right back, Anthony Robinson from left back, yeah. they are great attacking players and we don't make the most out of them. Uh, Greg doesn't get the best out of them by the way that they are forced to play. And I will say, I have been a defender of Greg Berhalter. And it feels like that kind of changed for me on Sunday. Uh, The results in the last few years have kind of, I think, overshadowed some things. Um, And it was obviously there all along uh, the issues. I'm not saying the sky is falling because of this results against Canada, but it made the... The, uh, the the things that were wrong glaring and, and it was loud on Sunday. It's just the it's the same and you know I I agree I am very upset with Burhalter specifically. I think a lot of it he put on himself with the with the comments after the game because if he had come out and said just we weren't we weren't good enough um, we need to be better I think we would have been talking about both the coach and the players today versus just the coach and maybe that's the reason he did it maybe he he wanted to take one for the team wanted that you know more people to be talking about him than than the players so maybe he's protecting them a little bit um but but 
I, I honest to God don't care because I, I don't recall in many, many games seeing different attacking patterns than coming down the wing and cutting back to the co- top corner of the box. Like that's, that's essentially the movement every single time. And yeah. they're just waiting for it. Canada's just waiting for it. And so he says in his press conference today, his follow-up press, press conference in advance of the game tomorrow, um, you know, it's just extremely difficult to break down a low block. Yeah, it's extremely difficult to break down a low block, but seems to me that a lot of other teams that have possession are able to do it. It's not like, you know, when England go and face Bosnia that they're struggling with their low block and they just can't score any goals. And it just, it doesn't make any sense. To, it's one thing if we're creating chance after chance after chance and their goalkeeper just has an incredible game. Eight chances. That's it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> In 90 minutes where you have 68% possession, it's just not good enough. It's and not good enough. Props to uh, MLS Gone Wild. Um, they posted a, two pictures of Weston McKinney's and Eunice Moose's heat maps from the game on Sunday. In the red areas are not in the middle of the field. It's on the sidelines. It's up against the touch lines. And that is exactly what it is. It's make progress yeah. on the wings and whip in across and hope someone gets on it. And yeah. the talent that we have right now deserves better than that. And that's what's the kind of the frustrating part. And I do have to also give props to Stephen A. Smith. Uh, <laughs> I tweeted this. Um, that the game on Sunday, I hate that the game on Sunday was the soccer game that made it into the mainstream, but I do also love that it made it into the mainstream of other people discussing, uh, exactly, you know, what happened, what's happening with the U S soccer program and the coach who obviously had some questionable comments after the game, which those who haven't seen it, Vince and I have both, um, retweeted it. And Stephen A. Smith was like, you dominated what part of the game? You lost 2-0, which is basically what me and Vince were just talking about. And it made it to Stephen A. Smith, and he talked about it. So, Yeah, and he even says, he's like, look, I'm not a soccer guy. If I don't even understand anything about soccer, but I know that's stupid. We have a problem yeah. here. And, so it's, and it's, it's a good point because, like, it's just such an asinine comment. You lost 2 nothing. You, ch- you created eight or nine chances. When, when, you know, a top tier team would be score would be creating 17 to 20 chances a game. And it's just, it's, it's ridiculous. It's just an, an absolute asinine comment. Here's the other thing that I want to talk about in relation to just our, our inability to score goals. We failed to qualify for the world cup, um, the 2018 world cup in 2016 and 2017. That was the campaign that we failed, right? In the 2016, 2017 world cup qualifying campaign, after 10 games, that team had scored 17 goals. We've scored 13 in this campaign after 10 games with better talent, the, with the golden generation of U.S. soccer in, in attacking talent sense. And we've only scored 13 goals in 10 games. It's, it's just, it's simply not good enough. We're relying entirely too much on getting by by one goal, two goals. And everybody's saying, oh, well, this is normal. It's qualifying. God, I'm so tired of that. I'm so tired of that. This is not business as usual anymore. Like it's not business as usual anymore. We have the great, if we, we've been sold that this is the best generation of American soccer in history, that we have the most talent that we've ever had. Costa Rica's down. Honduras is down. Like 
come on, man. I, it's one thing losing to, to, you know, Mexico or Canada, but the fact that we lost to Panama earlier in the cycle and we've underperformed against Jamaica, where we should have gotten six points from those games. We only took four. We've under we've underperformed against El Salvador. We should have taken six points against El Salvador, but we only took four. So, so like there, it's just underperformance across the board so far. Underperformance. To go back to what you said earlier about just using the Eng- England in Bosnia comparison, England is not struggling to get past Bosnia one zero. And then people don't go, ah, oh, it's World Cup qualifying in Europe. It's tough. We get it. It's just not how it is. If you are the more talented team and you are that much more talented than your opposition, it shouldn't be an issue. 1-0 shouldn't be – and especially the way the 1-0s are happening, where you're, barely, like you said, barely getting those chances, barely going forward, those different things. And it's very frustrating. Now let me hit you with a hot dog fact. In 2018, consumers spent more than $3 billion on hot dogs in United States supermarkets. Wow. Yeah, $3 billion yeah. in 2018. I wonder if that's went up. I don't know. That's interesting. <laughs> I wonder what the pandemic has done to the hot dog sales. I know. We might have to get a hot dog expert on. <laughs> mm-hmm. the supply, is, the, is the supply chain for hot dogs disrupted? Right. That's a, that's a, fair, that's a fair question. I don't know. That uh, is it hitting the hot dog industry hard? How is Portillo's doing? I don't know. Mm. <laughs> On to the next uh, thing to discuss about the Canada game. Um, Christian Pulisic. Um, I don't know if it's fair to say what's wrong with him. It is fair to say he's not himself. Um, yeah. He's not playing up to his full ability. I don't, I think that part of it is the game. He's not letting the game come to him. I think he's, um, overexerting in some areas, think trying to do too much. Um, I don't know if it's the system we're playing. I don't know what it is. All we can do is speculate, and it could be a huge mixture of things. But Christian Pulisic, what what is the deal? Uh, do you think going on with with him? I, I think it is fair to ask first and foremost. Um, you know, we we obviously do have a lot of expectations for Christian Pulisic, we have a lot of expectations for this team in general, but as kind of the trailblazer, the guiding light of this team, um, Christian takes on a little bit more of that responsibility, especially when we're not scoring goals and he's in the lineup. Um, I, he's, he's a human being. So let me preface that by like, he's not a robot. This isn't a video game. You can't expect him to just have the same performance every single time. He's going to struggle in moments. And he's clearly having some trouble um, with his mental health. And, and I just, I think that that's going to be extremely important for him to figure out. He's having a really rough time at Chelsea at the moment. Um, and that's clearly kind of, you know, getting to him. The, he said something interesting the other day where like, I think he's alluding to the fact that he's carrying soccer these days. And I, I heard, um, you know, Landon Donovan talk about this on Grant Wall's podcast the other day. He said, like, it gets tiring. He, Landon can speak to it. Clint can speak to it. Carrying soccer. Um, and I, I tweeted this out the other day. Somebody needs to take Christian aside and say, tell him that it's not all on him anymore. Like, it's not. We've got a collection of talented uh, European-based players that are playing at the highest level, whether it be West McKinney at Juventus, um, Tyler Adams at Leipzig, 
Gio Reyna at Dortmund. You know, you've got just nonstop players that are playing at an extremely high level in Europe that can take some of that burden away from him. Um, he doesn't have to feel like he has to do this on his own. And what I really wish that somebody would do is just kind of pull him aside and say, just be the cog in the wheel, have fun, play with your friends, like be a cog in the wheel. We don't need you to try to take seven guys on. And if he did that and stopped feeling the burden of American soccer on his shoulders, I think he'd be free, um, play a little bit more with freedom and he'd be able to kind of create a little bit more chances that way. He's not doing it right now. He seems very burdened by everything. He seems like he, he wants to take, do too much. And I get it, especially when the team's not playing well. Um, yeah. So I, I, I think that that's essentially what's wrong with him. He presses when he does play because he's not playing very often for Chelsea, specifically not in his, his favorite positions. Um, so when he does play and he is in his, his favorite positions, he presses and feels like he has to score like two or three goals in the game to, yeah. to show, show why he's there. Um, I did, I did want to also take it from like a sympathetic position of, first of all, yes, understanding that he is a human being um, and how much he has. I think, I think a big part of it is what's going on at Chelsea. I mm-hmm. think it, it certainly has taken a toll on him and it, you can tell through his like answers in media sessions and things that he doesn't like having to go out there and, and do this again and again and, and fight for his game time. Not that he doesn't, yeah. not that he like feels like he's above that because he understands that you have to work every day, but it certainly hurts whenever you have a manager playing you at positions you've never played and you don't know game in and game out. If you're going to get game time, you don't yeah. know like what your job's going to be. And I think that's taken a toll on him and kind of carried over to the national team, which certainly goes to the mental health aspect that you mentioned that he feels like he has to do everything. And it is a, maybe a realization he should come to of, I don't, I don't have to. And I have this great team around me now and we can perform even better when we're playing off each other. So yeah, um, I think it, it, all of that, I think, combines to it. I hope he can find his form again. I know he will eventually, but these two games in this World Cup window have been tough for him. Yeah, and, and keep in mind, like, when we're kind of talking about the chance creation issues that we have, Christian Pulisic's situation is a microcosm of what I think is actually systemic throughout this entire team. Um, and this point has been made before, so I'm not revolutionizing anything with this point, but... Um, Christian Pulisic is not a star for Chelsea. We'd like to think that he is. He's not. He's a role player for Chelsea. He's just a guy. Um, Tim Weah is not the star on Lille. Brendan Aronson is probably the closest to a meaningful attacking player for Salzburg, but it's still, you know, he's really playing at a level in the Austrian Bundesliga that is is way below what Salzburg is. is um, so they dominate every one of those games. Um, you know, Ricardo Pepe, not a star, Josh Sargent, not a star. Um, it, you, so you just kind of go through the, the list of attacking players and they're all Yunus Musa, not a star. They're, they're not like game winners, match winners for their clubs. And so when the onus falls on them on, um, on the U S to find and create those moments, 
they're they don't they're not extremely well drilled because they're not the guy that's doing it they're in the support positions for their clubs so that'll change they're all really young so like that is going to change over time specifically Gio Reyna is probably going to be one that's going to be a match winner for a lot of big clubs for a long time he's hurt and he's only 18 so like we can't really expect those types of things but Christian's situation what he's talking about right now and what's um, affecting his mental health is really the first time where I've been a hundred percent certain he needs to leave in the summertime. Like I still think despite all the issues that we're having right now that we'll qualify. And I think what's most important is that we're starting to get some of our most important attacking players, well-drilled at at positions that they're playing every day, being relied on to be the chance creators of their team. Um, So that way, when they get put in those positions for the country, that they are ready for those types of responsibilities. Yeah. Yeah. And we talked about Polisic, I think during our Twitter space that he should probably leave. <laughs> I think that's when we yeah. discussed it. Um, there's options out there for him to get more playing time in a more consistent position. Hopefully he can find that. Hopefully he can refine his form. Um, now for a hot dog fact, before I have to slam you with some bad news, um, <laughs> Um, Los Angeles residents consume more hot dogs than any other city. So big claps wow. to uh, big claps to LA. You keep yeah, the hot LA. dog industry going, whether it be through the pandemic, whatever. LA more hot dogs than any other city. I wouldn't have thought that. I, I don't know which which city I would have thought of, but I would have thought like you know, I guess Chicago is more bratwurst than hot dog. But somewhere in the yeah. Midwest sounds like a Chicago more, a big pretty hot big dog hot place. dog. Chicago's a pretty yeah. big hot dog place. So they're very they're very snooty about their hot dogs. If you mm. say you put ketchup on your hot dog, they hate that. They think mustard should be the only condiment on the hot dog in Chicago. So yeah, so I, that kind of surprises me too. But hey, congratulations, LA, keeping it going. <laughs> that of course, before this bad news of next game, which we will get to here in a second. Uh, Tyler Adams and Chris Richards both sustained injuries during the Canada game. Both are going to be out for the game in Minnesota against Honduras. Those are going to be two very, very big misses. Um, Tyler Adams, of course, because he, he was him and Weston McKinney were our two best players. The first two games of this window, I think you can tell me if you think differently, but Tyler Adams was Tyler Adams was everywhere recovering like he always does uh weston mckinney was our best midfielder uh, going forward it was great um tyler adams though is now going to be out so we're going to be missing that part i think it's a hamstring injury for him and um foot injury for chris richards it would sure be nice if we had another reliable center back preferably experienced to come in for this game but you know how that goes (laughs) (laughs) so those are going to be two huge misses for this game, we should still win. I'm not giving us excuses. We should 100% still come away with three points. But to not have Tyler Adams and Chris Richards for this next game is going to be big. Yeah, absolutely. Specifically, Tyler. Um, he is the single most irreplaceable player we have in this team. And I say that in the fact that if Christian or Gio goes down, there's still Tim Wea, there's still Brendan Aronson. There's still Conrad De La Fuente, who doesn't apparently isn't rated by the manager. Um, even Jordan Morris is an all-star in MLS. There's players on the wing. Um, the striker pool, I mean, we might not have found our starting striker, but 
they we've got like four to six guys that are kind of all around the same type of level and trust. I personally only rate about three of them, um, but certainly Greg Berhalter rotates between like six guys. Um, you know, fullback, no secret. We've got options at the right back position. We're developing options at the left back position. Center back, we've got six to eight guys that have that have done a job for us. Even in central midfield at the eight positions, we've got guys that can do a job for us. Sean Luca Busio, I think, is is doing great things at Venezia. Um, Luca De La Torre is criminally over, underrated. It's really when you get to the six that we're saying, well, I guess Kellen Acosta is our backup defensive midfielder. If, Tyler, if anything is ever to happen, Tyler Adams. The gap between what Tyler Adams can do and what Kellen Acosta can do is is cavernous. Like. Yeah cavernous um so i just it's 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 frustrating that he is the one that goes down with an injury you're kind of expecting that at some point in this window he's he's not known for his durability um so you we've got to develop whoever it is that's going to be the ultimate backup six because tyler adams is amazing he's the captain of this team he should be the captain of this team he, whenever he's hurt or unavailable, we have to have somebody that that isn't such a drop off from his level. Yeah, I, I 100% agree. Um, I Acosta is going to be in that place against Honduras. We can pretty much p- put him in in Sharpie because we know that that's what's going to happen. I just wanted to touch again on though on um, now that I mentioned those injuries, the Burhalter thing. The Burhalter out crowd was as loud as ever after Canada. And I think justifiably so Um, you tweeted it. Those trophies over the summer mean nothing if we can't qualify for the world cup. Um, And and that's completely fair, but I think it's also fair to say, maybe not fair to say, but I think it's correct to say that Burhalter will not be going anywhere until after the world cup, as long as we qualify. Of course, if we don't qualify, he's out the door the day after or the night of, um, but if we qualify for the World Cup, he's going to be, whether we like it or not, our yeah. coach through the World Cup. Um, I hope that he can make some adjustments as far as the attacking things that we, specifically the attacking things that we've talked about, because, man, it's ugly right now. Weston McKinney uh, today came out and uh, did did support the tactics from Burhalter. He did say in his press conference that the tactics work. We know that we just didn't execute it well enough, well enough. So McKinney kind of was like, Hey, it's on us, not him. Um, yeah. I think it's a little bit of both Weston. If I'm being fair, I think that it's certainly both. it's both the players didn't perform up to the best at in Canada. And I think it's also on Burhalter to put your players in a, in a position to be able to succeed and score goals. And that didn't happen either. Yeah, that's right. It, it's both. I'm glad that he said that I watched his press conference today. Um, and yeah, I, I'm glad that he said what he said in terms of taking ownership. Tyler Adams did the exact same thing with his um, Twitter post today. So the leaders of this team are taking ownership of the situation saying, look, we just got to get the job done. And they're right. And I'm glad that they said that because ultimately we can talk till we're blue in the face about Burhalter. I don't care about Burhalter's tactics as much as I care about if we have the right players on the field and in general, we did um, against Canada, we should be able to do more than we did. 
Yeah. So, so like, this is the problem. They might not be well-drilled. They might have, like, a sp- very specific um, attacking pattern that Burhalter coaches over and over again, and it's basically that overlap and then cut back passes. And he did the exact same thing for, for Columbus, and they just did it until they were blue in the face, and it worked every time. Um, it's clearly not working for the national team. And so the players have to realize that during the game and adjust the way that they're playing and try some different things. And it's not on that like ceases to be, to be bear halter at that point. Like at that point, like, okay, what bear halter tried to implement and what he's trying to tell us to do in terms of pattern play is not working. They're cutting it off. So what, how do we like draw them out? How do we try to change up some things? do some different attacking patterns, draw them out so that they're not anticipating that cutback every time. There was um, the last 10 minutes when the, when we really started chasing that goal, there were some good moments. There were yeah. some, some promising moments. I tweeted, first of all, that I didn't like the taking Brendan Aronson out whenever he did. Mm-hmm. That was one of the subs I strongly disagreed with because Brendan, Brendan Aronson, I thought was our best forward uh, on yeah. Sunday. He created some good moments. Uh, I won't say that he was particularly great in the game, but he no. was our best forward in the game, I thought. Um, and then to bring in Ariola when we're chasing a goal uh, is, is something that we're, we're kind of used to at this point. But whenever the U.S. really, when we really started chasing that goal in the last 10 minutes of the game, there were some promising opportunities, and it was because we were like, get the ball, look forward. Like, let's go. We have to yeah. now whenever you get in that dire moment, if that would have started a little sooner in the game, maybe we're talking about a one, one tie here. Yeah. Yeah. And and I'm glad that you brought this up about Aronson, particularly in the first half. um, I thought that he was, he had really good combination play with Eunice Musa and Serginio Dest. Um, He pressed well as he always does Um, all game long. He was kind of just a nuisance. Um, and he kept finding himself in good positions. So, so all of those things were pluses for him. He just didn't have that final inspiration. There was even one right. breakaway where like he just made the wrong decision um, and it would have been a clear cut opportunity to get a shot on goal. And um, so, so there was a couple moments like that where I think were, were pretty severe negatives for him. So it ends up in my mind kind of being a neutral game for him. Um, but you know what's funny is that it, this is one of the games, and I, I you know, USMNT Twitter and and the various pundits that make up American soccer media um, are always pre- have like extreme opinions and are always pretty have like these dividing lines. But I don't remember a game where there was like such distinct X player had a bad game, and then somebody would else would say X player was really good, but it, and then. <laughs> <laughs> the, they would say Y player had a really good game. And then the other person would say, well, Y player was actually really bad. Like there was such varying opinions on the individual performances of this game. Um, you know, some people said Brandon Aronson was really good. Some people said Brandon Aronson was the worst player on the field. Some people said Eunice <laughs> Musa was very good. Some people said Eunice Musa was, was like lacking in his ability in this game. Some people said Weston McKinney had a fantastic game. Some people said he was pinned on the sideline too much, as you were saying earlier today. So, like, it, it's it's one of those things where it's just, like, there were so many various opinions, even with saying, like, Christian Pulisic. I, I said during the game, Christian Pulisic shouldn't be taking free kicks anymore. And I had a lot of yeah. people that said that that was – that I noticed something that very, very, like, you know, that that was a good point. And then I had a bunch of people in my mentions saying, like, well, Christian Pulisic created the only opportunities of the game 
off of free kicks. And so it's like there was just so many different opinions about like who was playing well and who wasn't playing well. And it just it was it I, I don't know what that is, but it was something in the game where like a lot of people that know what they're doing and know what they're talking about with soccer couldn't figure out who was having a good game and who was having a bad game. Yeah. I was more on your side with the Polisic thing because whenever whenever we got the first free kick and I saw Polisic was lining up to take it, I was like, what's going on here? And then it was a, it was a not great delivery. And then another one came and I was like, what, what is happening? Like, why is Polisic taking these? So I was, I was yeah. right aligned with you of why, why is Polisic taking these and not someone else? But I did see the people. He, in your there were several that ones were that just were short. It. Yeah. They yeah. He couldn't even get it to the near post in some corners. Um, and I guess the, some of that is, is the, is the, uh, uh, is, is probably the, the cold. There was probably something with that. So you, you was just underestimating how far the ball would travel. Um, but also like, I've never really considered Christian a fantastic free kick taker. No, um, I would much rather have Gio Reyna or John Luca Busi, obviously neither are in this camp. So, uh, but those two would be like my primary free kick takers. And after that, I don't know who's next. So maybe Pulisic is next. People have pointed out to me when I said, like, well, maybe Aronson should have taken a couple that Aronson took some free kicks um, when Pulisic was out and didn't do particularly well. And they're right about that. But it, I think it's more like game to game. If you know that neither Aronson or Pulisic are fantastic at taking free kicks, maybe after one takes the first couple and they're just not arriving in good places, maybe you give the, the ball to somebody else and let them have a chance. Um, you know, I would have int- been interested to see if, uh, if Serginho Desk had curled one in. There's a couple yeah. different things that I would have liked to see. Yeah, I agree. Um, you mentioned the cold might have been a factor. We're going to talk about the cold, I tell you what. Um, but first, a hot dog fact. The world's longest hot dog was 668 feet long, long enough Jesus. to cover uh, more than two soccer fields. Oh, so, sounds disgusting. I can't I even imagine. I would this. want that long of a hot dog. That's, that is... Not and great. is it one like is it one just really like normal sized I, hot dog like in I terms think of it width? was yeah I think so I don't know though I don't know there's no picture I'm just guessing honestly but now you're gonna make me work look up the uh, world's longest hot dog and like weird uh it is yeah it's a little bigger than usual in diameter um just looking at this table they have that lined out on here. Actually, it, it's pretty thick. <laughs> it's pretty thick. It's probably about as wait, no, that's that's part of the bun too. This is like great podcasting experience, I'm sure. <laughs> um, it's it's actually like the same thickness as the regular hot dog. I was confusing the bun as well for the rest of the hot dog. And so yeah, it's like average width and diameter, but it's just really long. <laughs> <laughs> so there you go uh that wouldn't go bad in, that wouldn't go bad in the cold surely uh but you know what is going to go bad in the cold my attitude because i'm tired of having to think about how um that we're going to be playing in what feels like negative 15 tomorrow is that right oh man um yeah. you tweeted something i think that goes great with this vince i'm, I'm gonna pull it up right now i'm just gonna say it um u.s soccer where they don't give a shit about player safety as long as they can tweet a cool winter is coming video uh as you uh quote tweeted a accuweather real field temperature for saint paul saying that frostbite could set in within 15 minutes 
Um, mm. This isn't fun for anybody. This is no. not um, an advantage for anybody. If anything, this levels the playing field uh, for the more talented and less talented teams. This is a disgrace. This is something that has irked me from the moment it was scheduled and it was out on our radar. This has irked me that this was allowed to be scheduled in Minnesota on the second day of February. You know the weather could be like this. You know that there is a possibility that it's going to be ugly and it's going to be really, really cold and there could be a ton of snow on the ground. And you scheduled it anyway. I think that's a joke. We're not, as U.S. soccer, at a point right now where we still need to do this. We don't need to find this every little advantage we can get against Honduras. We don't need to try and make them uncomfortable by playing in negative 15 because guess what? Our players are going to be uncomfortable too because it's going to be terrible. And I, I hate it. I wish that it would have been moved indoors at this point. It looks like it's going on uh, as scheduled outside and it still is driving me insane. Honduras was eliminated with five games to go. Um they're the worst team in this qualifying round. We do not need to do this. We can win based upon talent. If we just show up and play the game. Um, Why are we so afraid? We play so scared all the time and it drives me absolutely nuts. Kyle Laren noted that by the way. He said on Football Americas that uh, the U.S. did play scared against Canada. So, And you know what? Like, that comment, and I saw it, it was it somewhat irked me because, like, you think about it, and you're like, well, how can a, a, a player playing at Juventus get scared of Canada? You know, that I'm not b- demeaning Canada, by the way. I, I know that, like, I've got some followers from the Canadian soccer team you know, soccer, Twitter, whatever. Um, they're having a fantastic qualifying campaign. I, I've congratulated multiple multiple ones of them. Um, you know, they're doing extremely well. I honest to God do think it's an, a rivalry now. I think that this is going to be a three-headed rivalry now for the next, um, at least this generation of Canada. And this might be around for good for them too, just because one of the unintended consequences of what MLS has done is basically – raise the quality of soccer around the entire region, not just the United States. Um, and Canada's benefited from that and good for them. I'm, I'm glad it raises the level of, of CONCACAF. It raises the level of our region. It, it raises the level ultimately for um, the U S so, so what's good for them is ultimately good for us in terms of competition. Um, so I don't want to be rude when I say this, there's absolutely no reason to fear Canada. And I agree with him that we played scared. We got punked a little bit in that game. We backed down from challenges and there's absolutely zero reason to do that. If I was, you know, a Eunice Musa, a, a Weston McKinney, Tyler Adams. And I'm like, some of these players probably did do these things, but like, I'd be looking at them like, dude, what, what club do you play for? Seriously? Mm-hmm. Um, I, I'd be asking those questions like other than Alfonso Davies and, and Jonathan David, I, I, I ain't respecting any one of you guys and what you're doing with your club situation. Like none of you, Tejan Buchanan's a wonderful player again, not to demean him, but why would anybody be scared of Tejan Buchanan on as of right now? Like there's just no reason for that. 
And it just, it's, it's frustrating because it's systemic. We do this every single game. It's one thing to respect your opponent. It's another thing to like, be like, oh, well, we don't want to play in normal conditions against Honduras because we're afraid that they could actually counter a bit. Dude, just play better. Yeah. <laughs> you, like you, we you have, play, you have a, you have like 22 players playing in the champions. Like for God's sake, like just play the better than them. You're a better team. <laughs> and it's just, if anything, this levels the playing field because it makes everyone uncomfortable. It makes chaos more likely to happen. And who's right. going to benefit from chaos? Honduras is Honduras is going to go in there trying to create chaos. And the cold weather is going to make that all the much worse because every tackle hurts that much worse Everything yeah. becomes that more uncomfortable and painful, and it's not going to be fun. Um, I, I think we still, like I said, I'm not creating excuses here. I'm just saying this is a failure by the U.S. by U.S. soccer to schedule this here. What a joke! Yeah. Um, I've been tweeting very sarcastically over the last couple of weeks. Like, gosh, it's awesome that this game should be moved indoors, and we have the facilities to do so. Right? Hoping mm. that we would do that because this is ridiculous. And our players, yeah. not even for the fact that our players shouldn't be subjected to having to go out there and play and feels like negative 15. What a joke. Yeah, it's it's ridiculous. And honestly, like, again, I what, what I tweeted about player safety, and that that is legitimate. Um, just beyond that, like, you, you, what, what are we what are we teaching the players that they need to, to like, we're going to schedule this in freezing temperatures because we don't think that you could just play play better than them in good weather like what what does that say it's just it's so frustrating to me that we even have to go to those lengths just play them straight up you're a better team yeah i 100% agree just it's it's ridiculous we can talk about the uh what we want out of the actual game now that we got the cold weather out of the way uh but first a hot dog fact <laughs> um Mickey Mouse's first on-screen words were hot dog. Bet you didn't know that. I did not know that. There you go. Mickey what, Mouse. What's the context of that? What's the full no line? What's the full line? <laughs> Mickey Mouse's Mickey Mouse first full line. See, this is this is why we do it right here. First full line. I don't know if it's gonna give it to me, and if not, I'm not gonna worry about it. But his first words were hot dog. There is a video. I'm not gonna watch it right now. Because that would be really bad podcasting experience. But if you want to look it up, it's on YouTube. It's called Mickey Mouse First Words, parentheses, Disney History. And on the cover art, I do see hot dogs dancing. So um, Mickey Mouse First Words were hot dog. Some people's are uh, dad, dad, or mama. Mickey Mouse's is hot dog. Um, Interesting. As, as far as the actual game against Honduras, Vince, we both see this game as a must win. Every U.S. soccer fan sees this as a must-win. Uh, Lineup-wise, no Tyler Adams, no Chris Richards. Like I said, any changes you want to see, or what do you? Is there anything you want want to see changed? Maybe besides the tactics, obviously. Um, what are we looking at? Um, what do you want to see out of this game besides three points? Ricardo Pepe has to be starting. Um, step one: We've lost two games in this World Cup qualifying campaign. Who is the starting striker in both of those games? Yeah, it was Zardes. I, and, and I'm not scapegoating the guy. 
He's we've been saying for a really, really long time. He's not at this level. He's not at this level. Um, he can work hard. He can press. He's, you know, he's a worker for you. It, Josh Sargent does all of those things. And I, I'm a broken record. He does all those things. He's a worker. He, you know, he's a very good, like presser of the ball. He, he works good. He does a lot of good things defensively. He holds up the ball. He's going to battle for the, the entire game. He's going to press really well. He's going to do all those things. And guess what? He's a premier league level striker. Yeah. He's, he has not been in great form, but just don't tell me that even in like lesser form that he's not a better player as of right now than Giassi Sardes. He's, he, he's absolutely a better player. And for anybody that's like even questioning this, I think Grant Wall, or um, I, I think, uh, I think um, Alexi Lawless would probably disagree with me and say, well, like Zardes has proved more over the course of his career than um, Josh Sargent. But even Alexi Lawless says form is fallacy, right? Like he says, he says this all the yeah. time. It's one of his catchphrases, form is fallacy. So like, if that's the case, you just call in the better player um, and the better player is Josh Sargent. So I, I'm not positive why Zardes keeps getting chances at this level when we lose games with him in the lineup. So, so like, that's one change that I need to see. I, without Tyler Adams in the game, I think that it's going to be a Costa straight up and we're going to keep the same formation. Um, but I do wonder aloud, like if this is an opportunity for Burhalter to change the formation, either go with, uh, with three center backs and, you know, push the fullbacks up higher, um, allow Christian Pulisic to place more centrally. And then you basically play, um, way, uh, way, uh, um, with Ricardo Pepe and Christian Pulisic more as like inside forwards, um, and then you just play two midfielders, Eunice Musa and, and Weston McKenney. That might be an option. Um, I don't think he'll do it. I, th- I think he'll he'll keep the same formation and just insert a cost of like for like for for Tyler Adams, which all things considered is still good enough to beat Honduras. One thing we know is that uh, Kellen Acosta is a gamer. He's not going to take any shit from Honduras. So um, I think that it, it will ultimately be be fine if that's the case. I just wonder aloud if it's something that we should try out. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. Um, I was thinking along the lines of maybe this is the time for a formation change. Um, even if he wants to stay with four backs, maybe he plays. I, I don't like the idea of Musa and McKinney as like a double pivot with then the four up top of Aronson, Wea, Pepe and Pulisic. Um, I don't know if I love that idea, but it's also another possibility. I think, um, all things that are going through Burhalter's mind right now, but I bet it'll be a straight swap. I, I think it'll be Acosta for Adams. We roll in there to Minnesota, get the three points, and focus on next window. Um, I do expect a. This has to be not that it has to be because three points is three points, but a, a multi multiple goal win. Mm-hmm. We shouldn't be scraping by one zero against Honduras we shouldn't be hanging on to just one chance that we get it's it's something that we have to do better at this is a perfect opportunity to do so against all respect to Honduras but lesser opposition a perfect opportunity to show what you can do and win by two three goals yeah absolutely here's one you know final thought on this 
the same exact competition in the first window. We, um, drew El Salvador away at El Salvador. We drew Canada home in Nashville. And then we were down at halftime against Honduras and Honduras came back to win that game, walked away with five points in the window. We're underperforming in this window too. Chances are we'll, if we win this, assuming we win this knock on wood, um, we'll have six points in this window. We were hoping for seven to nine. Um, the, the issue is that, that basically he's doing the exact same thing that he did in that window, which was he started out with, um, was it Josh Sargent, I think, was starting the first game. I and then he rotated so. to Jordan Pifak, and then he rotated to Ricardo Pepe. Um, now he started with Jesus Ferreira, rotated Giassi Zardes, and now he'll probably go back to Ricardo Pepe. Ricardo Pepe earned his spot. I'm not positive why he rotated out uh, of Ricard of Ricard away from Ricardo. That has Pepe. been something I've I can't answer myself either. Is it doesn't make sense why Pepe wasn't starting against Canada, and it won't make sense if he doesn't start against Honduras. For for two players that are playing in MLS, not just playing in MLS, um, are not all stars or top level players. Their position in MLS and who didn't make the playoffs in MLS last year. And so therefore have not played a game since November, early November at that. Um, it doesn't make any sense to me. Ricardo Pepe is playing games in the Bundesliga. Maybe he hasn't scored yet, but it's only been there for two games for God's sake, but he's playing competitive minutes in the Bundesliga. He's in quote unquote form. He's at least game fit. And you decided to play two guys that hadn't um, played competitively in three months and we're surprised that those two guys couldn't score. Yeah. It doesn't make sense. It's going to be the death of Berhalter. I think the reliance on those guys and I understand like it's got to, it's going to be tough for Berhalter to be like, look, Zardes, you just don't cut it anymore. Like we just yeah. don't, you just don't fit it anymore. And that's, that's fine. But man, if it comes down to it and we're qualifying, we're relying on we, – we were looking ahead to next window because that's when we're – if we qualify, we have to do it next window now. We have Mexico and Panama, two ginormous games in March, and then uh, Costa Rica. So you have to make the right picks because a slip-up in those games and you're out again, and and it's an utter failure. And – it's just you have to be – we've had 10 games now to make the right – to figure it out, make the right decisions in World Cup qualifying, yeah. and it's it's still not working. Um, and it's – it's you have to have it figured out by next window or at least to an extent where you can get wins uh, yeah. because Panama and Mexico are right there. Um, speaking of which, Panama and Mexico also play tomorrow. Um, I'm looking they, – they kick off at uh, 9 o'clock Central. 10 o'clock Eastern. So we will be able to tune into Mexico and Panama if you choose to do so. Um, I think it should be on Paramount Plus. Yes, it's on Paramount Plus. So if you want to tune in and watch Mexico and Panama after the U.S. game, um, you can do so. That's a huge one as well for both of those teams. Both of those teams, that's a must-win game for them too. If Panama wins, that is a shakeup to uh, – to a lot of things. I think Mexico is going to win. Mexico is playing in Mexico at the Azteca, um, but it is a game to watch. It is a game that U.S. fans should should have an eye on uh, tomorrow night. 
Yeah, absolutely. Or tonight, and, by the time this releases. Yeah, by the time you guys are are listening to this, it'll be tonight. Um, the the oh, I want to end with this. The most frustrating thing about this entire World Cup qualifying campaign is that we've shot us ourselves in the foot so many times that now we're like in razor fine margins. Like we get we get a a bullshit red card against against Honduras or Panama, and all of a sudden, you know, World Cup qualifying looks like it's in the in the mud. Um, we didn't have to do this. I mentioned these like key results earlier, like there was no reason why we shouldn't have been able to take six points from Jamaica and El Salvador. There was no reason why we couldn't have won that game in Nashville against Canada and not put ourselves in a position where we would have had to win this last game in Canada. They, we, we've shot ourselves in the foot so many times, you know, losing in Panama instead of at least getting a draw that now we're in a position where one bad result, one mistake and we're out. Yeah. And I've got just such a problem with that. And this is what I, I said this at the very beginning. If you re- remember Dalton, I, I said this at the very beginning of World Cup qualifying. This whole idea of, well, just win your home games and, tr- and draw away if you can um, limit the damage away. It's like that is such a, a mediocre mindset of just asking for one bad home result and you're out. You just, we need to set the standards higher, man. We just, we need, it's time. Mm-hmm. We have the talent. We should be able to do whatever the hell we want in this region. And we're holding ourselves back by can constantly shooting ourselves in the foot and lowering our expectations and saying, it's fine. No, I expect to win every fucking game. And that's, that's just the, how I want to end the show. We'll wrap it on that, Vince. That was a great way to end the show. Um, but we will be back next week with our regular uh, segment show. Um, I won't make Vince say anything else because that was a perfect way for him to wrap this up. <laughs> but we'll be back with our regular segment show with our USMNT in the deep end, soccer at home, and show me the money. But, of course, this had to be a, a USMNT World Cup qualifying uh, window episode because there was so much to discuss. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Uh, thank you everyone for tuning into our Twitter space last week. We're going to be doing more of those. And if you haven't already follow both of us on Twitter, I'm at Dalton Kemper and, uh, Vince is at USMNT underscore thoughts, which you probably already know. Um, follow us for all the latest updates on things and go us. Let's get three points against Honduras tonight. 